Like Peter said earlier, Happy New Year. How are you feeling about 2023? Promising? There's no snow on the ground for me. That's a sign of heaven. God saw my prayer. He heard my cry. Uh, no, it's good. Um, I'm really thankful that you're here, honestly. I'm, I'm thankful that you're starting part of your new year uh, in church and, and with us, too. That's a huge honor. But I didn't want to skip over the fact that there were some really cool things that God did despite the blizzard of 2022, you know? So I look back, and even this past Christmas Eve for us as a church, we kind of culminated our series, Captive Liberator, and talked about how Jesus has, has a desire for every single one of us to set us free. And two people responded, even in our service physically, uh, to that. Two people stepped forward and took one of those locks and said, like, I want to step into that freedom. And I'm so grateful for stuff like that. Like, uh, as I was driving on icy roads Christmas Day, I was like, oh yeah, that happened and that was awesome. <laughs> I was, I had something to be grateful for and I'm really grateful for that. So many of you prayed and invited and even showed up here on Christmas Eve in that afternoon and, and I'm thankful for that. And so we have these cards out still. Obviously, uh, today is January 8th, so you're in the new series that we're launching now. But if you responded or, or know someone who responded, we would still love to hear about that. We'd love to celebrate that with you and help you like in your steps towards Christ. And, and you can fill out that card today and just leave it right on your seat if that was you. Or if you're online, you can still go to centergr.com slash Jesus and respond that way. Um, but we would love to help you and just follow up with you that way uh, because I, I do think that's probably the most important decision uh, you can ever make uh, is to step into that freedom Jesus gives. So, all right, all that said, it's New Year. It's January 8th. You've had about a week now of 2023. You've tested it on, tried it on, you felt it out. And I want to know, like, have any of you set any New Year's goals or new habits or resolutions? Anybody just want to be bold and say, yeah, I, I'm trying some new stuff. Okay, got a couple. Perfect. I like it. Um, every year, December 28th is my wedding anniversary with Lindsay. We've been married nine years this past December. And we decided a long time ago that on that day, we would go out for a meal, and we would talk and dream about the next year. We just decided. I don't know who gave us that good wisdom in our marriage, but someone told us to do that, and so we've been doing that, and it seems to be working out all right. And so we go this past uh, December, sit down at, the, at our favorite lunch spot. We eat a meal. We're talking, dreaming about the future. And one of the things that we always do is share what are some of your kind of New Year's resolutions or goals, and we're, we're both oldest children, so we're both like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Like, we're super driven people, both of us together. So it's just like, a, it's an awesome conversation. It's really, really fun. And then, like everyone else, over time, your dreams for those things end up getting smaller. Anyone else have that experience? Maybe you don't even set goals anymore. You're not even thinking about New Year's resolutions because you're like, screw that. I never make them. They never happen. I'm just not going to worry about it. Some of you are old enough the doctor sets New Year's resolutions for you. You know what I'm saying? And one of the things I found out just about human nature, and I'm not that old, but, but I found this out even about my own life, is that our dreams for ourselves, for our family, for our marriage, for sometimes our church or spiritual life, maybe our, our community or our workplace, they tend to get smaller over time, not bigger. Have you catched this? Have you caught this before? Like it ends up getting smaller. They end up shrinking. Sometimes the dreams you have have a way of getting smaller. A, a perfect example of this. When I was young, I was a little kid, my dad would ask me that question, like, what do you want to be when you grow up, John? And I was always like, I want to be a heart surgeon. He was like, wait, what? That's crazy. 
And if you know me at all, you're glad that I've never been near anyone with a scalpel. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that dream God uh, thankfully killed in my life. I, it was not not my calling. But maybe you've got dreams like that too. Maybe for you it was a family member you want to see come to Christ and it hasn't happened. That dream has just gotten smaller and smaller over time. Maybe it was like a business idea. It was a product or something you wanted to invent or a business you wanted to create or an agency you want to step out and do on your own. Like whatever that is, maybe over time, that dream for that thing, that start has gotten smaller over time. Maybe you got married and you have big dreams about what you're going to accomplish as a, as a team and, and what was going to happen and maybe the kids you're going to have and the kids haven't come and the things haven't happened and your dream for your marriage has just gotten smaller and smaller over time. This happens in our workplaces. This happens in our schools. It happens in churches all over the, all over the place. Dreams end up getting smaller over time. Can I, can I show you what I think God wants to say to us today, 2023? I believe God wants us to dream again. I believe he wants us to dream again, not just as a church, even though I think there's implications for our, our family here, but I do think for your life and for my life and for your marriage and your singleness that, that God has a dream and he wants you to step into that again. And that's why we're studying probably the most famous dreamer uh, in the scriptures. We're going to the life of Joseph and he's probably one of the most famous Bible characters and for good reason, his story is full of some incredible ups and incredible downs. It's, it's a very human story, but it starts out really, really interesting. You might ask, like, why Joseph? Why won't we just study Jesus? Like, surely Jesus had dreams. He was perfect. Like, why won't we just study his life? But he, there's really two reasons why we're going to study Joseph for these next couple weeks. Firstly, uh, the life of Joseph is maybe the clearest picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's actually a, what they call a type of Christ. It's one of the clearest images for us, a parallel, if you will. There's over 100 connections between Jesus's life and Joseph's life. And you're going to see those, some of them today, but certainly through the rest of our time in, the, in this book. Secondly, Joseph's story, and this should give you hope, demonstrates how God can redeem what looks like a limiting, crushing uh, broken circumstance. He can redeem it for his glory and he can revive the dream, if you will. He can redeem the dream. And, and that's one of the, one of the those are really two of the few reasons, couple reasons that, that are most profound about Joseph's story. So we're going to actually look at the very, very beginning. If you have a Bible or a phone, uh, the reference will be on the screen. Jump with me to Genesis 37. And we're going to start right in verse 1. Genesis 37, verse 1. And we're going to kind of hop around here in these 28 verses, but we're going to start in the first one. So here's what uh, the writer says. Jacob, this is Joseph's dad, lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. And it starts out with Joseph's story. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. So let me just crush any notion you have that Joseph is a perfect character. He just starts out, the 17-year-old has a way of lying uh, that is going to get him in trouble. You're going to see this in the rest of the story. But, but Joseph starts out deceiving uh, his father about his brother's performance in the field. Verse 3, now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. 
When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So there's already some family tension and family kind of division at work in the story. Parents, you know you have a favorite child, and Jacob had a favorite child, right? You all pretend you don't, but you all have one, right? Maybe not. Okay, you're all perfect. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, I'm about to have a second kid, and I'm already trying to decide which one am I going to like more? Which one am I going to care about more? But it's funny because it's such a human thing. It's like Jacob, his dad, is just really honest and kind of awkwardly upfront with his other brothers. Like, yeah, Joseph's my favorite. Like, he was kind of a miracle baby. I didn't think I was going to have any more kids. And then Joseph happens, and I make this ornate robe for him. He's got a Technicolor dream coat now, and, and he's like our favorite. And all the boys know it, all of them. And, and naturally, if you're in that scenario, if you're not one of the favorite kids, you, you start to hold resentment and bitterness. And, and, and it says here in the text that they hated him and couldn't speak any kind words to him. And then verse five, this takes a unique turn. Like what happens here is really, really unexpected. It says in verse five that Joseph had a dream. And in this dream, he ends up telling it to the brothers, which ends up making them hate him. And this is the dream, this is verse six. Listen to this dream I had, he says to the boys. We were binding sheaves of grain out, of, out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Yeah, exactly. If you are hated by your brothers, the wrong thing to do is say, God gave me a dream that eventually you're all gonna submit to me and you're all gonna bow to me. They're like, all right, we're killing this kid. Like, I don't care what happens. So they say, I mean, his brothers literally reply, do you intend to reign over, over us? You're actually gonna rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he'd said. I mean, that's clue number one, Joseph, like cut it with the dreams. But maybe you skipped ahead already. You look down the next verse. Look what he does. Then, verse 9, he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now his family's all in this. All the boys, the mom, the dad, sun and moon, they're all there bowing down to Joseph in this dream. Verse 10, when he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? We're going to humble ourselves. We're going to need you. You're like the baby boy. You're 17 years old. Like, we don't need you for anything. You need us. And in verse 11, it kind of caps off this part of the story. It says, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. There's two things I, th I think are important to, to learn about Joseph right at the beginning. Number one, Joseph, again, is not a perfect moral character in this story. He's lying. He's antagonistic. He's not, he's not a perfect human being. And secondly, Joseph obviously grew up in a culture where dreams and interpreting dreams was celebrated and it was normal. Like Joseph is not the first person in scripture to have a dream from God. He's not the first one, he's certainly not the last one. Like over and over again, you read through the Old Testament, maybe you're in a Bible reading plan right now and you're reading through some of the Old Testament, you find that God spoke to his, his, his chosen people through dreams. He, he let dreams guide them and, and calibrate their lives around what he wanted and his will for them. And here's what I know about human nature, and you, you see this in Joseph's story too. 
Everyone is going to end up somewhere, and some of us do that by design. Everyone is going to end up somewhere at the end of their life. There's going to be a final product the day you die of you and your life and your legacy. And some of us, I hope all of us today, will decide to get there on purpose, by design. And I want to say, I think the best way to design and put your life on a purpose is to recognize the fact that God has a dream for your life. God has a dream for your life. Another way to put this, and you see this all over Joseph's story, dreams recalibrate the heart to God's design. Dreams recalibrate the heart to God's design. Just like sometimes a car needs a tune-up and an alignment. This is kind of what our lives need. And God uses dreams or uses a vision from him to recalibrate our hearts back to God's design. And this is true not just in kind of Bible salvation history. This is true in American history too. I mean, you see this, like one of the most famous speeches of all time is titled, I have a dream. Like Martin Luther King Jr. steps out into the mall and he declares this dream, a vision that God had given him to see racism erased from, from the fabric of American culture and communities to see black communities, black people have the same equalities that their white neighbors had. He, he, he was driven by not just the realities of the painful existence of, of black communities, but by the fact that God had a dream to see the kingdom of God take root and take shape in America, to see our nation aligned around the dream God has for people. And it drove his life. It drives civil rights movement and the conversations we have around race and justice today. This is a dream conversation. And when you catch God's dream for your life and even for our church, the things that used to matter so much, the priorities you had, the, the things that stressed you out and worried you, they just start to become really, really insignificant. And the things that matter more and matter for eternity start to become important to you. Uh, Lord of the Rings author, famous kind of fantasy author, who also happened to be a, a Christ follower, his name is J.R.R. Tolkien, and he says this. He says, a single dream is more powerful than a thousand realities. A single dream is more powerful than a thousand realities. It as a way of overcoming the realities and circumstances of our life and giving us a bigger vision, a bigger kind of idea for what God wants to do in our lives. God has a dream for our lives, but can I let you in on a really unique tension you're going to face if you, if you buy into this? Can I let you in on something that's going to make this really, really tricky? Can I let you in on something that you're going to find as soon as you believe that God has a dream for your life that's going to happen to you? God has a dream for your life, but the enemy's goal is to slowly destroy that dream. And he'll do it through a bunch of different ways. Like one of the ways you see in Joseph's story is between his brothers and him. There's family division. There's family pain. There's family dysfunction and conflict. And all of us come from families that have those things. And God sometimes will, will try, can work over that. He certainly can work through that. But the enemy's goal is to say, you cannot overcome this. Your family will never get to blank. Your marriage will never become blank. Like you slowly give up the dream. We do this for our own selfishness and sin too. God will put a dream in your life, a vision for your life, and 
temptation after temptation or conversation after conversation, drink after drink, our own decisions, we decide it's not worth it. And the enemy slowly destroys the dreams we have. We get tempted over and over again, hard circumstances, suffering, a diagnosis, difficult season of of chronic illness, whatever it is, and we decide we're just going to give up on the dreams that God has for us. And and a unique one I face all the time is the kind of comparison trap where I will see God has a dream for my life. I'm going to pursue it. And then someone in the exact same set of circumstances as me, maybe same gift, maybe same stage of life, I see their life on social media and they are just killing it. They are living the dream. And I'm not even close to the dream. And I'm like, why can't I be like that guy? Why can't I have that family? Why can't I live there or do this? It's like, I get sucked into that. And it's unique. And maybe you have this in your role too. I can literally preach two sermons on a Sunday morning and feel okay about them. I can go home. I can open up Facebook and find like 15 sermons that just were way better than what I just did. And it's like, shoot. And I maybe am tempted like you are in your life and your roles to give up on the dream God has for me. And that's why Joseph's story is so interesting because it begins, you see his brother's reception of the dream initially is hostile. I mean, I don't know if your family's ever plotted to kill you, but that's Joseph's reality. He's literally, are you kidding me? I'm only 17 and they're trying to chuck me into this well. That's how this chapter ends. And they literally say, we got to get rid of this kid. Eventually they decide, let's just at least sell him into slavery to this foreign nation who we're enemies with. We won't probably hear from him again. But you skip ahead in the story. 13 chapters later, the story is wrapping up. This kind of redemptive conclusion takes place where God does, as we, uh, we'll look at over the next couple of Sundays, he begins redeeming the dream in Joseph's life. And the brothers are having this conversation, which they do have to bow down. They do need Joseph. God has put Joseph in a position of power and ability to serve his, his own family members. And this statement comes out of Joseph's mouth in Genesis 50, which you intended for evil. God had a way of redeeming and, and turning for good. He kept hold of the dream. He recognized that the dream was bigger and more important than the circumstance. And just like some of you, I started a Bible reading plan this year, and it's gone pretty well. I'm not 100%. Uh, but one of the stories that we read recently in this plan was John 4. That's a story I've preached on a bunch of times. You've probably even heard this story if you've been around church, maybe even if you haven't been around church. You've maybe heard this story, but Jesus encounters this woman at the well. They're having a conversation. He talks to her about living water. And listen to what he says towards the end of this conversation. This is John 4, 13 and 14. He writes, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Like Jesus' heart, even for the people like this woman, was to recalibrate her to God's design and, and giving her a dream that her life, which was felt so opposite of what he just described, can be a fresh, bubbling spring of life for her and for her community and for her family. That's exactly what he wants to do. I was just shocked. Like first couple chapters into this Bible reading plan, how over and over Jesus's heart was to recalibrate people through healing, through teaching, through discipleship, through prayer, through miracles, back to the way God intended life to be. 
Uh, I've shared with some of you, uh, this past March uh, was kind of a unique time for us. We were going through just some hard things in our family, and I got this opportunity to go to uh, sunny Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in March. And I have a friend who's there who's like a spiritual director. He's a counselor. He's also kind of a consultant. He's all those things. And he had, he's about 10 years older than me. He had grown up around me and knew me pretty well and just invited. said, hey, if you ever want to come out and just do kind of a personal leadership retreat, I'd be willing to do that. And it just felt like it was the right time. And I just kind of reached out and said, hey, can I, can I come out and do this? He's like, yeah, for sure. So I go out and, and for the next 48 hours, it's like 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. intense like counseling. And we went to 42 different tools and conversations. It was just like a lot. And I had just a ton of notes, a ton of, like, my Google Doc was full. It was stuffed full when I left that 48-hour retreat. And I was recently reading back through that, and it was one of the most powerful times in my life, specifically spiritually. I mean, it just changed the course of who I am and how I'm going to lead for forever. But one of the things I noticed, it was like a common theme in all the different notes I took, was that the thing that marked me the most was that as I left that retreat and as I was driving home, I realized there were dreams, passions, giftings, personality things about me that I had simply shelved. I'd given up on them and said, this doesn't fit in my life anymore. Well, I've got kids now, I can't blank. I'm supposed to be a, a good leader, I can't blank. I don't have enough money for blank. Just all these excuses, all these things I had to put on the shelf. And to be honest, this last eight to 12 months has been God recalibrating my heart back to his design for me. The dreams he'd put in my life decades ago, some of them, that's just like, yeah, that's never going to happen. Yeah, that person's never going to whatever. And it just struck me as I studied Joseph's life, how similar the temptations are. Like Joseph doesn't know it yet, but Joseph is going to spend half of his adult life in prison for something he didn't do. Something he was wrongly accused of, he ends up spending half of his life in incarceration for. Do you ever think, do you think maybe as you look ahead at this story, do you think Joseph was ever tempted to let go of the dreams God had for his life? I don't gamble, but I'm pretty sure that's a safe bet. You know, like he was tempted just like you and I are to do that. But at the same time, Joseph's, the dreams God had put in Joseph's life, they, they drove him. They kept him going in the hard times. Like, and honestly, if you think about it, it's good for your life to dream, but there are people in your life who need you to dream again too. Your boss needs you to dream again. Your wife needs you to dream again. Your four-year-old needs you to dream again. Your workplace, they need you to dream. God dreams again. Your school they need you to dream God's dreams again. Your community, your neighborhood, your friends, your grandparents, your cousins, they need you to get this. I, I need to dream again for some people in my life. And so I just want to ask you a really, really simple question. Maybe you already know the answer before I even say the question, but where do you need the Spirit's help to dream again? What area? What person? What place? Where do you 
need the Spirit's help to dream again? Because I can give you a guarantee. You answer that question, maybe not right now. You maybe you need to process and pray and discern that, but maybe you know the answer. If you answer that question this week, you're going to find that that place, the way you answer that question is where God will do his greatest work in 2023. That's where he's done his greatest work in my last year. So when I answered that question, that place, friends, is where God wants to do his greatest work in 2023. And I just believe you answer that question, you you wrestle with it, you discern it, that God is gonna give you clarity on the steps. You don't even have to figure out all the X, Y, and Z of, of that plan. You don't have, that's not your job. Joseph had no idea where his story was going, but what he did was held on to the dream. He, he, he knew that it was those dreams that were gonna calibrate his heart to what God wanted. And the same is true for you. Dreams, they do, they recalibrate our heart to God's design. So what I wanted to do is just take a few minutes and to pray for us, to pray for our, our story, for your family, for your marriage, your singleness, wherever you find yourself. And maybe you have a really quick answer to that question, or maybe you don't yet, and that's fine. But I'd love to invite you. We're just gonna pray together just to, to bow your head and close your eyes. And, and for me, I mean, we've got some things in our, in our family that we need to dream again. We've got an appointment in a couple days where there's doctors who've said that your daughter who's gonna be born in April has a large hole in her heart and it's not gonna be healed barring a miracle. And so that's what we're praying for. We're praying for a miracle. And when I sit in that office, I wanna have the ability to dream again, to dream big. And I don't know what your area is. And maybe there's an area for you that you know already. And if you do know where that is, I'd love to pray specifically for you this morning. If you just slip your hand up real quick, you say, yeah, I, I know where that spot is. I know. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. God, we, we recognize that we do not have as much power and as much capacity to dream for ourselves as you do for us. And so we say, Holy Spirit, help us to dream again. Help us to catch God, your vision for our church, for why we're here. Help us to catch a vision for our marriage, why you've put us together with the spouse that we have. Help us to dream again for family members who are far off situations that we don't think will ever get resolved for physical healing for miraculous provision for purpose in life to revive new ideas and dreams that we thought didn't matter or don't fit the stage of life we're in that we're too old or we're too young or not smart enough or too smart. I just pray, God, would you do what you do best? And that's to recalibrate our hearts to you. We invite you into that. We pray that you'd help us to build a new foundation this year. We pray that we would stand on your faithfulness, that when the storms of life come, when things swirl around, when there's chaos, when, when July 2023 is not the July that we had dreamed about in January, I pray that you would help us, God, to trust you to build our life on the dream you have for us. And ultimately that's for our flourishing and your glory. So we pray that we consecrate ourselves, we surrender our stories to you and, and the things that we face. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.